Hello and welcome to another episode of Last Week in Localization, um, the show where we talk about the latest from the world of localization in terms of events, research, and uh, news and whatever else we find relevant, really. Um, today here with me, I have my wonderful colleague, uh, Rucha. Rucha, thank you so much um, for, for joining me here today. Um, this is actually the first time that I'm going live by myself. So I really hope uh, that everything goes well. So far, I always had um, Tucker working his uh, magic in the background. So thanks for that, Tucker. Um, so yeah, thanks for taking the risk with me. And uh, to any uh, listeners and viewers, um, bear with us. I hope things go well. And if not, uh, let us know. <laughs> so, um, Rucha, um, tell us about yourself a little bit. Great. Thanks, Sarah. And first of all, thank you for having me here. Um, it's my first time as well on a live stream. So a <laughs> um, um, little bit about myself. So I'm Ruta. I am customer success manager with NIMSI. And I've been into localization for uh, 13 or 14 years now uh, in different roles from a language team lead to project manager to business implementation manager. And now um, I'm customer success manager with NIMSI and the amazing team there. So, yeah, that's all about me. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. And um, yeah, the reason we, we have you here today um, is you recently published um, a wonderful, um, I wanted to say article, but it's really a, a large report uh, for NIMSI about uh, translation memory management best practices. So um, before we dive into that topic, um, I know pretty much nothing about this topic. It's not my area <laughs> of expertise, which is why we, you know, we have people like you and uh, others on the team who are experts in this area. So um, maybe before we go get into this, um, can you tell me and all the listeners as well um, what exactly we're talking about? And maybe um, before we even do that, can you explain what exactly a translation memory is? Because I feel like maybe mm -hmm. not everyone that's listening is as versed in localization in this whole universe as, as we are or you are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, tell us a little bit. Sure. Um, so, well, translation memory is basically what, um, you know, it's like a repository of all the translations that we do, uh, which includes two languages, the source and the target language. So, uh, Think of it like a dictionary, but only that it is for strings or phrases and sentences and not just words. Uh, so this particular repository stores uh, a particular string or sentence in the source language and aligns it with uh, the uh, translation of that sentence into its target language. And so all these sentences are actually one after the other stored in a particular place, uh, you know, in this particular tool. And what it does is it helps our linguists and all of us in the translation and localization to not redo something that's already done. Uh, so if a particular sentence is translated already, what we can do with you by use of translation memory is recall that. Um, so it helps us, first of all, speed up the translations, maintain consistency so that, you know, a sentence once translated does not get translated in other way, uh, in another way. Uh, so it helps us maintain consistency. And of course, there are cost savings because you 
we don't have to pay for something that's already translated once. So that's what basically in a in nutshell translation memory is. And uh, today we are we are going to talk a little bit more about how to maintain this, how to manage this, because um, I wouldn't say it's a complex uh, tool or something, but uh, I guess a tool is as good as its management. So um, what are the best ways to look after it, how to create it, how to structure it, maintain it, and basically, you know, the best practices around it. So, yeah. <clears throat> Fantastic. Yeah, because... Um... As you said before as well, um, I, I actually really like what you just said as well, that uh, a tool is only um, as good as you manage it, right? Um, so you have to know how to use it, otherwise it makes no sense. Um, and sometimes even with the simpler tools, um, it can be difficult. Or maybe sometimes because they are simple, you don't consider that there might be more to it, <laughs> right? So um, right. maybe so in this, this article or in this report, you're writing about the best practices for translation memories. Um, Tell us a little bit why that is important or um, how did, like, what was the, the reason for the report? How did you, why did you feel like you needed to write about this? Thank <laughs> um, you for asking that. <laughs> um, so over the years when I worked, uh, you know, in localization, um, it's like, you know, every organization has a different way of managing. And that's not just because it's a thing about, you know, uh, the localization uh, service provider and how they want to manage, but there are various, uh, you know, considerations in how a translation memory is set up or managed, depending on the content type, the client's preferences, of course, the target and uh, target local uh, language pair, etc. Um, I had the opportunity to learn the right way about it right from the beginning. But, um, you know, I, I started working with NIMSI and I realized that maybe that's not what everyone is following. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, we come across, uh, you know, so many questions all, all, all the time that uh, what is the right way? Uh, I mean, how can we do this? What are the features? What are the functionalities to use in such and such case, etc.? And I realized that, uh, you know, there is just so much uh, out there that needs, you know, uh, that needs to be, let's say, put in a streamlined manner and shared uh, so that everybody can follow the best practices. And honestly, translation memory is all about doing it right the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, the moment we miss that concept and we, you know, work on it in a hurry, in, in a hasty manner, we only realize that later on cleaning up the chaos that was built is going to be for so much more difficult so uh you do it right the first time reduce the noise and yeah that that's it and because we were you know getting so many queries about it i thought it's really good to put something down that's short simple straightforward and hopefully everybody will find it helpful perfect just the way we like it at nimsy nice and practical and yeah so um with that uh lovely intro and oh, by the way i completely agree with you uh it's better to do it right from the beginning than cleaning up the mess after because ultimately you will create a mess so it's uh, it's better to put in the work right from the start and uh, get some help and some insights mm -hmm. so um maybe um so this report actually that you wrote it's exclusive uh for nimsy partners But I guess we're getting a small preview here today um, of some of the stuff you um, wrote about. Uh, so obviously, we're not going to go into all of the detail, 
but it's a pretty extensive report as we can see here. Um, so maybe just tell us um, what are the most important things that someone needs to look out for, for or what are the best practices? Um, maybe the, the, the top two for now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that makes it so much more difficult for oh, me. Sorry. Well, whatever is easier. Uh, whatever is easier. I, no, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. You are. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, best practices are generally so many because, as I mentioned, you know, um, it's more about the content type, the industry, and even the content platform where it's mm -hmm. going to be used, uh, the target audience, the language, uh, target language, etc. So based on all these, and of course, the end customer uh, or your customers, uh, let's say branding guidelines, based on all this, uh, the translation memory use and management will actually vary vastly. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the things, of course, are very, let's say, uh, common or they are ground rules. And uh, I, I would say, and it's it's in the report, but I would just like to, you know, put it in a nutshell that it's basically the four pillars, you know, uh, of translation memory management. So you said it right, you structure it well as per the various um, variables, uh, as I mentioned, um, you maintain it, you keep updating it, and you back it up regularly. And that's really all that needs to be done. It's It sounds simple, but when followed correctly, it's enough. Um, so when it comes to settings and structure, it's about, you know, um, how do you structure it? I mean, do you go for, let's say, uh, a version that is working version, wherein you uh, save everything that's still not approved or reviewed, uh, whether you, uh, you know, create a master TM separately where you only upload or, or only save what is approved and reviewed by the client. Uh, what is the structure you give? Do you create a translation memories per language, a subject line per, uh, you know, uh, let's say per uh, reviewer even, because sometimes the customers have different reviewers for different markets uh, or even for the same market. So do you create it per reviewer? Uh, and how do you basically set and structure it is super important. Uh, this needs to be th uh, thought right from the beginning. And for all of this, the basic setting and basic structuring of, the, of, uh, of a translation memory, it is super important to involve the customer your client and understand what are their requirements with regards to quality. Do they prefer accuracy over relevance or the other way around? And this helps you really, uh, you know, uh, find out what would be the best structure for a particular translation memory for a particular language pair. Uh, so it's, you know, basically the pillar, the first pillar of good translation memory management. Uh, the next is, of course, maintaining. Uh, maintenance basically is about putting the right functionalities or features, selecting the right features. So um, how, uh, you know, um, just to get a little deeper into what is the concept behind uh, translation memory is um, you put premium or penalty settings. So wherein they, um, any particular string that is translated and saved in a translation memory is in a chronology of so it's previous string and it's the string uh, following string are also saved. Uh, and that, this helps us create um, a context to every sentence that is translated. So to, um, to a translation that is 
also in context correct and can be recalled. What are the premium settings that we need to put? What are the penalty settings to be uh, afforded or uh, set for a translation memory that is, let's say, not final, um, not reviewed by the client, etc. So what are these, you know, uh, features or settings to put comes under your maintenance of the translation memory, because every time you upload a file into it, it's going to pick up those settings. Um, or if the settings of the files are different, then it it's going to, you know, it's going to you are you going to need it need to finalize which setting is final when you put a file into a translation memory when you save it in there so these are your let's say maintenance uh, features or functionalities the next is of course um, the backup it is often uh, not let's say uh, considered important but i can't stress enough how important this step is because Backing up is what helps to save what was already there in case, uh, you know, the server crashes or something happens. And while in, well, saving a file into the translation memory, you lose the entire memory. So backing it up every time before updating is super duper important. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, um, I would say, I would argue that backing up your files uh, is super important anyway. Um, I mean, I, I think yeah, probably anyone uh, can, no, no, not to contradict this at all. And I, I, I agree, it's always a good reminder because even, uh, you know, whenever you're writing anything, whenever you're doing anything, like it's good to have backup copies just in case uh, something happens because otherwise you will be very yeah. sorry for all the work you put in. Um, you know, you can yeah. avoid disaster that way. So actually, this yeah. this brings me to um, a question I've been meaning to ask you as well. So since we're talking about um, best practices, um, mm -hmm. let's maybe quickly um, consider the, the flip side. Um, the reason why we need to have best practices as well is like, what are some of the, the pitfalls? Um, is, are there some you can highlight, like some typical errors that people make? Is that just the opposite of the best practices? Or are there some, uh, <laughs> some you know, examples or stories that you can share maybe? Um, good question. <laughs> uh, there are many pitfalls, of course. Uh, you know, uh, I think the biggest pitfall is to think that translation memory is just a place to save uh, and, you know, upload every translated file to. Um, not knowing what its real use is and how it's going to help you in subsequent uh, projects or translations. And it, it may sound like I'm coming back to the same point about what is the best management uh, practices, but it's a pitfall because often we, and I have seen this happen, uh, often it has been used as just a repository of translations where everything translated and paid for has to be uploaded and saved. Uh, and probably in the next project, we recall that to see what is the new words uh, or the new sentences that need to be translated. So there is cost savings. Uh, the pitfall here is that we do not realize that translation memory management actually requires a certain level of training and understanding of the concept mm -hmm. and the very use of the the tool um, that's the biggest pitfall i've seen and uh, you know from that comes everything else so what if we are not following the best practices what could be what could possibly go, mm -hmm. go wrong uh, apart from mistranslations uh, poor alignment of source segment and target segment, massive rework, uh, 
that will, uh, you know, uh, most probably fall upon the editor of your job or poor reviews from the uh, client reviewers, in-country mm -hmm. reviewers. Um, it could also uh, hamper your, uh, you know, project delivery because, of course, that adds to the timeline, uh, that adds to the cost because you're probably redoing what you intended not to redo by use of translation memory. So the pitfalls are many. But to be specific about a particular case is, I would say, not uh, putting the right metadata. Mm -hmm. So metadata is basically the data, data behind the data. So um, any you know, like any, let's say, bilingual glossary or terminology management, pretty much translation memory also needs metadata. Yeah. So that could be, uh, you know, literally your... Uh, attributes uh if that's the you know technical term uh so the attributes that we add it could be name of the reviewer who is signing off the translation uh, who will again sign it off in future so you need to be consistent with their requirements and their style and quality expectations um it could also be you know uh poor penalty settle uh, settings or misthought penalty settings where we just say, let's say, let's assign a 5% penalty so that anything that matches is, it, it does not match the criteria or rather meets the criteria gets discounted by five to 10% so that it falls under, uh, let's say, fuzzy match or new uh, sentence or new words which need to be translated again. Sometimes those settings can also be huge pitfall because either you are not drawing the right leverage from your translation memory and hence you are adding to your cost or sometimes uh, you are drawing more leverage than needed and hence that's resulting in poor quality of translation so um, pitfalls are many and as i mentioned you know there's a pitfall at every stage which you do not follow correctly so it's really about setting it right from the beginning and i think it is uh, you know need uh, it's it's something that we emphasize a lot, but still needs to be mm -hmm. emphasized more is that training your team in translation memory management is really important because there are so many things that when we use on a daily basis, we kind of assume that it is known or understood, yeah. but it is not, you know. That's so a very good point. To, to, yeah, I mean, it, it's about really breaking the assumption and saying, okay, mm -hmm. You don't know anything about this so let's start from the beginning and that's when you have questions that are relevant that's when you will rethink and i think that also gives us a chance to improve the tool itself mm -hmm. uh, i guess yeah and actually um, all of the typical pitfalls that you mentioned as well um to me it sounds like they all have a high cost factor attached to them at the end, right? You were saying there can be mistranslations and things need to be redone mm -hmm. again. And potentially, you know, you have an unhappy client, you might lose the client, you might, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ruin your reputation, all of these things. And mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is, is horrible, of course. You know, they say it takes, I don't know how many <laughs> years to build your reputation and five minutes to ruin it, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes people are more forgiving, but still, uh, this is not good. And especially if it can be avoided with uh, just knowing how to do it right, if it can be done easy enough. And mm -hmm. um, again, when it comes to cost savings, you were saying the translation memory is largely also um, there to uh, save costs, to be uh, quicker, to ensure quality. And if you don't do it right, then you have the opposite of that from what I'm hearing. So that's not yeah. good. And then 
So who would typically um, provide uh, this kind of training then uh, that you were saying is so vital for teams? Well, talk to Lindsay. <laughs> of <laughs> yeah, course we yeah. will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we would, of course. But if you're talking about a typical, let's say, uh, language service provider organization, then uh, I think this falls upon uh, maybe the localization engineer who knows the tool best. But uh, another pitfall there would be to leave that job to just the localization engineer because mm -hmm. they know the engineering side of it, the file engineering mm -hmm. side of it, you know, the technical, the, the technology side of it. Yeah. But there is so much in translation memory. It's ultimately about languages. So mm -hmm. I guess involving a linguist or a project manager who has uh, or anybody who has the overall view of the whole localization process, mm -hmm. the workflow would be super important to add, uh, you know, the training and, and yeah. the knowledge here. So um, definitely, um, every organization would probably have, but, um, and as I said, after I uh, joined NIMSI, I realized that probably not. What I was assuming is general practice throughout the industry is not really that. Mm. And um, yeah, sorry to say that again, but that's where NIMSI comes in. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of shameless self-promotion, but... <laughs> You know, what's right is right. So uh, if it's true, you know. Um, no, but uh, yeah, it's so true, though, what you're saying as well. And I mean, um, I, like, like I said before, and it's probably apparent from this conversation as well, I know very little about translation memory in this side of the industry. But when I, for example, talk about uh, interpreting, it happens to me all the time that I think, oh, well, mm -hmm. everyone must know this because uh, I know this very well. But then um, sometimes you're surprised that um, people don't know certain things. And, uh, you know, yeah. that's also nothing to be ashamed of it's just uh, something it's good to address it and then you know it's something to be solved as well and like you're saying we we often have these assumptions like oh everyone knows this everyone knows that and that is also then again exactly where uh, more errors happen because if you don't even consider that people don't know this like for example like i'm just talking mm -hmm. like within your team for example now yeah Uh, mm -hmm. You just assume, oh, yeah, someone's working in this industry uh, and in this job, they must have this kind of knowledge and maybe people are too shy to say or I don't know, you're not everyone's very outspoken. <laughs> Then you run exactly into these pitfalls that you mentioned, right? Then um, yeah. and then you have a problem. So. Yeah. And also, I, I feel that sometimes and maybe more often than not, uh, people don't know what they don't know. Exactly. So what they learn what they learn is what they implement, but they don't know what's outside of that knowledge, mm -hmm. you know, and there probably is a world out there. So uh, that's where, you know, uh, you need an expert coming in to tell you that, okay, what you're doing is right, but there's so much more that can be done with it. it mm -hmm. It's an amazing technology, I would say, and that forms the basis of, you know, everything that we have today, machine translation and all of that. So uh, using it right is... Uh, so important and there is so much to learn about uh, about it uh, on a i would say that even today i get to learn so much from um, you know my colleagues julia and roman and everybody about the best practices even even today uh, mm -hmm. so the, because we don't know what we have not used or we, what we have not learned and that's why you know There, are, there has to be something that you can fall back on to look at whether you are doing right thing. There's more that you could do and also validate your knowledge, basically. Mm -hmm. So, Definitely. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And um, this is another excellent point. You don't know what you don't know. And it's often that only once you go a little bit higher, you realize that there is more to know that you don't know yet. And then it continues like that. And of course, you know, you want to get the most out of the tools that you're using. It's usually um, if you implement any sort of technology, it's first of all, a, it's a it's a money investment. Right. And it's usually mm -hmm. there also to save costs, like we said. <laughs> so you want to make sure you get the most out of it. Right. Um, yeah. So this is then where yeah. those uh, best practices uh, come in and um, to make sure your team is trained. Yeah. And one thing I would like to add is, uh, of course, Saving cost is a massive, uh, you know, um, takeaway from using mm -hmm. the translation memory, right? But let's not stop there. And often we see that a uh, lot of clients who do not know what, and I'm talking about end clients, who do mm -hmm. not know what a translation memory is, but they've heard about it and they know, okay, there are cost savings attached to it. So let's use it. Uh, it falls upon, let's say, us as users uh, and experts, uh, expert user uh, of the, uh, this technology to, uh, you know, add that it's not just about cost savings. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, faster time to market. Uh, you know, it's about quality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I feel these are the three main objectives of a translation memory. So let's not go so much after cost that mm -hmm. we forget the other two, which are actually complementing the cost uh, savings. Uh, yeah. So I feel that as users, we also have to inform somewhere that uh, cost is not the sole objective of using or using well a translation memory tool, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is exactly where it comes back around to uh, knowing more about what this is good for and what you, uh, you know, inform people about maybe what they don't know yet and how to best use this tool. So mm -hmm. is there any best practice that we haven't mentioned yet that we should mention or did we already talk about? That? I don't know if I interrupted uh, you a little bit earlier. I think I did. Uh, no, no, I think we covered that. But uh, maybe just something about, you know, um, treating translation memory uh, more like, uh, not treating it more like, but it is actually an asset. You know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a language asset, your entire language asset stack, which includes a translation memory, a terminology database, uh, your style guide. So uh, we just need to make sure that it is complementing the other assets and in sync with all of that. Um, but that's, again, about another best practice. And of course, as I mentioned, there are pitfalls of not using it. Um, but I think that's where, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, thorough training comes in the picture um yeah and you mentioned earlier that uh you know there's often when the when you start introducing a, a team to translation memory and you start training them that there are certain uh you know there's always questions that come up um are there any um specific questions that you hear over and over again that clients talk about or like in a in a team that come up typical ones uh for for newbies to translation memory? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think the more, most common questions are about the, the terminology or the jargon that, you know, uh, is about translation memory. So what are penalty settings and what's a premium and what's a content match? And it, it's more around that. Uh, but honestly, I feel that um, to anybody who knows more than, speaks more than one language, or who knows what it takes put any content or product from one culture or one language to another would 
probably get hang of what this does pretty mm-hmm. soon uh because we we know right i mean uh, and for someone like me who comes from a country where not all the languages have you know uh both the genders <laughs> uh i know what it takes to put things from one yes. uh, language into another and if you have that basic insight i guess it's pretty clear and then it's all about just knowing the functionality of the tool the mm-hmm. te- technology behind it etc but uh i would say one of the uh questions is um why can't we work on hard copies if we want to use translation memory and you know <laughs> and, and that's that's a newbie uh yes but uh it always amuses me how we are still looked at as an industry who could be working from hard copies and i in no offense we we do have uh that too uh but you know that's the level of i would say technological advancement that we have actually reached so far but um we lack some visibility there and that's why these questions come up but yeah you know, that's one of the questions that i get yeah actually this reminds me when when i did my uh translation uh certification a few years ago in in germany um mm-hmm. it, it had to all be handwritten as well and uh, i thought you know <laughs> this is not the reality of the market. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, fair enough, doing it now for the exam and all that, but it would be nice to introduce some uh, more modern technology and a little bit more reality into the courses as well, because like you said as well, you know, then otherwise afterwards the translators go and they have to be retrained on the translation memory in-house, which, you know, fair enough. But yeah. um, I'd say, I, I would assume that maybe at the universities, it's uh, already um, something that people use. And I did a little bit of that mm-hmm. in university later for a different course. But um, yeah, that, that yeah. was funny to me. That was, it's not long ago. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Even now, uh, I have so many people who ask me, so I speak two languages. Can I translate? It's just about you can give me, you know, the, your document you know, print out and I could probably translate that. And um, I don't want to be arrogant about what our industry is, but um, and, and I love what, uh, you know, we have from the book from Renato and Taka. Just because you have 10 fingers doesn't mean you can play a piano, right? It's exactly. pretty much like that. And just to uh, um, it, highlight it here as well, that is the general theory of the translation uh, company, I think. Damn, mm-hmm. I hope I didn't mess yes. up the title now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, There's a really good point. And this is something also when, you know, you talk to people who aren't part of the industry that comes up all the time. If you say you're a translator or you're an interpreter and uh, mm-hmm. people like, oh, it can just be anyone who's bilingual, you know, and basically like, what's the big deal? Why is it so different? So difficult, you know, mm-hmm. you, if you speak two languages, then it shouldn't be difficult. But yeah, there's obviously a whole lot more to it, as we all know. Um, yeah. than just being bilingual. That's basically just the yeah. starting point, the prerequisite. <laughs> and then everything else follows after. Absolutely. It's the best part is uh, it's about languages and technology both. And, uh, you know, that's that's the assumption I was, you know, referring to. Often we feel that, okay, we know language and that should be good enough, but there's so much technology that we are using behind mm-hmm. it uh, that, of course, knowing that also is super important. Uh, and 
and I mean, we, we usually, we often take the, the view, of course, from the, the company perspective, the business perspective, uh, you know, the LSP, or also we mentioned the language service buyer. Um, but looking mm -hmm. at the, the linguists now, in this case, the translators, um, mm -hmm. what are the benefits for them using a translation memory? Oh, well, often it seems that they don't have benefits, and that's a myth because uh, it comes across as, they don't get paid for something that's already translated once. But I, I, uh, I, I've had this question from a lot of linguists who were not, you know, um, let's say, uh, migrated to my uh, translation memory mm -hmm. use, etc., at cat tools, etc. Uh, well, the basic thing is, it's not about not getting paid for something that's translated. It's about doing more work in the same time mm -hmm. because something that's already done is you know getting recalled by this tool uh, all you need to do as a linguist is recheck and make sure that it's matching with the context and the you know uh, let's say client requirements and expectations and move on to the next uh, uh, section move on to the next project and i think what they gain a lot from here is um, being able to deliver projects uh, that are thorough consistent and good mm -hmm. quality uh being able to deliver faster so that they can move on to something new uh and take on more work and i i think that also brings about uh, a kind of you know professional growth where they can actually specialize in a content uh, or a subject field because if you're delivering projects faster uh you are also able to you know find time for yourself to mm -hmm. learn more to specialize in a particular subject line and we do more because that's also a natural progression for them professionally right so i start translating and then i get into uh, you know uh, editing position as a lead reviewer or a language lead and then i get into client interaction with helping set up the quality parameters or the language asset Mm -hmm. and then moving on to the quality management part. So that's also natural progression, I feel. So yeah. uh, there's a lot. It's not just about the cost. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say also, first of all, you pointed out uh, a lot of the, from what I can tell anyway, the translation uh, technology is about handling uh, volumes, right? So it's not that you don't get paid uh, the same, it's just you do it more in the same time, basically, with the Definitely. use of technology in that sense, not by actually doing more in, you know, don't, that sounded like stress there, but that's not what I meant. Um, and uh, when I actually, for the few times that I um, tried it as well, I loved the consistency part as a linguist because often yeah. enough you're like you know i don't know if you're mulling over a certain part and you're like ah uh, you know what do i use here and then later on you maybe come back to it and you're like ah oh, what did i use there again you know and you have to come you like research it again and you know i know it's just a few steps but it's nice if you mm -hmm. don't have to do that and that you're just reminded of what you used and you're like yep yeah, that's it good mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so time. yeah uh, i mean I, I have not worked as a translator for too long maybe just a year but uh, that was without translation memory or a cat tool so uh, e even if it's about money I would rather work with a cat tool and a translation memory than not mm -hmm. uh, you know as you said going through hundred uh, or hundreds of pages of translation and having to refer back to what you translated something as and you know the glossary the terminology etc uh, I think I would rather have the technology help me uh, deliver faster and a better job than actually just think about forward uh, rate for myself. 
exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, I think we rounded off the topic quite nicely. Um, you know, we came full circle talking about all the different sides, I think. Uh, is there anything we've missed that we haven't talked about yet that you feel like is still relevant uh, before we call it a day? <laughs> uh, there's so much more that is relevant <laughs> and we cannot probably cover that. Uh, but I would say, um, you know, let's not look at translation memory in isolation. As I mentioned, you know, it's a part of, um, let's say, a bouquet that language assets. So you have terminology management, you have style guides, creation and updates, etc. So uh, don't look at translation memory management or training or learning about that in isolation. That needs to complement your other assets, your other technology, uh, all of that together. So uh, look at the whole picture, uh, but let's, let's say complete one thing at a time thoroughly so that um, you, you make the best use of all of it. Perfect. That's uh, that's a wrap, I'd say. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like you said, there's so much more to discuss. So uh, if anyone watching wants to find out more, you can always reach out to us on any of the social media channels or by email, um, minus uh, sarah at nimsy.com or there's rucha at nimsy.com. So it's very easy <laughs> as well. Reach out to us anytime because you can always come and talk to Nimsy um, to find out more. So um, thank you very much uh, for the lovely chat, Rucha. I, I learned a lot today. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your time, Sarah. It was lovely.